the Georgia GOP convention is a battle for the party's soul. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Dear listeners, Patricia and I will be live and in person this weekend at the State Republican Convention in Columbus. So if you see us, come up and say hi. We will be there all weekend. Uh, it is going to be a jam-packed weekend, and we're going to preview it on today's episode, where we'll be talking about the stakes, why Governor Kemp will be a no-show, Donald Trump's return visit, the ultra-conservatives who are gaining clout in the party, the anti-traitor change that they're pushing, and why Patricia is closely watching Marjorie Taylor Greene all weekend. we got a big show, Patricia. We got a big show because we've got a big weekend to talk about. Yes, I will be closely watching Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, I'm having a moment of pure fascination with her and her political choices. But then also there is so much else to watch. We are having a hard time narrowing down our foci, if you will, Donald Trump, Carrie Lake, all kinds of behind the scenes, uh, rulemaking, potential rule breaking. Um, and this really is, I, I don't think it's too much to say it's a battle for the soul of the party, because this is the time when this party decides, are they going to be the party of Donald Trump or the party of a group of people who can like Donald Trump or other nominees and look toward rebuilding a majority here in this state for a presidential nominee. We'll see. I texted uh, a senior Republican operative about 10 different storylines. I said, what's your favorite? <laughs> he said, definitely the soul of the party, but there's so many different narratives that will be unfolding this weekend. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey there, I'm Stephen Schumacher, president of Only in Cartersville, Bartow. Need a break from election season? Escape the hustle and bustle in Cartersville, Georgia, where you can start your day with a rejuvenating hike at Red Top Mountain State Park and wind down at Timberline Glamping's newest location, Pine Acres on Lake Alatoona. Looking for more fun by the water? Check out Terminus Wake Park or grab a kayak and paddle down the Etowah River. And don't forget to mark your calendars now for Barbecue and Bruce Fest in downtown Cartersville on April 20th. Unwind where relaxation meets adventure and create memories that can be made only in Cartersville, Bartow. Okay, so the biggest storyline, to to us at least, is this one. The Georgia GOP convention is more than an important milestone in the race for the White House, because of course Donald Trump is coming, but it's also a microcosm of the bitter rifts over Trump and his devotees that still divide the party. And Patricia, this is playing out in a lot of different ways, uh, starting with the fact that Governor Kemp is a no-show at this convention, along with other mainstream Republican leaders, Um, starting with the fact that an emboldened coalition of ultra-conservatives has been elected to key party posts and they'll be pushing a policy. It's not likely to pass, but they're still pushing a policy that would give activists the power to block Republican, in their words, traitors from qualifying as candidates. And uh, the fact that there's a number of speakers who are promoting Trump's election fraud conspiracies and have vowed payback against Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp, and others who have refused Trump's demands to overturn the election. So a focus on 2020 rather than 2024. We'll see how it plays out, but uh, those are some of the big themes we're watching. 
Yeah. And when, you, when we also were talking about um, the election deniers who are going to be at this convention and really taking a leading role in this convention, there are also multiple targets of Fannie Willis's grand jury investigation as well who are going to be there. Uh, not only Donald Trump, um, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones is no longer a target of that investigation because of an appeal that he put before a judge, but he's still sort of I think, under the cloud of that investigation um, and a number of other people who were involved in that effort to have this alternate or fake ballot of alternate electors. It's just they have been through a whole lot since the last time they got together for a convention. And um, it's going to be really instructive, I think, to see the tone in the room, the body language in the room, and which of these candidates gets a, a kind of a rousing ovation. And does is anybody who's in the room feeling like they would really rather be seeing somebody more mainstream or less focused on the past elections and more focused on the future elections? Yes. And another another of many things we'll be watching is that rhetoric, right? Governor Kemp is one of the GOP officials who have kept on saying, if we look back, we will lose as Republicans and you cannot afford to lose Georgia in a presidential race and still carry the, the national contest because Georgia's 16 electoral votes are so crucial um, for the Republican electoral map. Um, and you're right, Patricia, there's going to be, we reported in the jolt on Thursday, some of the election deniers that will be not just speaking, but giving pretty marquee slots. Carrie Lake, the former Arizona gubernatorial contender who still refused to concede her defeat and has promoted the stolen election theories from 2020. She is headlining the party's Friday night dinner. Donald Trump, of course, is speaking, and, and you can bet that he'll talk about 2020, and he, you can anticipate he will attack Governor Kemp and Secretary Brad Raffensperger and other Republicans. Um, you can also expect... And our colleague Tamar Hallerman has a big story about this uh, this morning. You can also expect prosecutors to be very closely watching every word Donald Trump says, because just as we heard back in the town hall that he did at CNN a few weeks ago, where he talked about the Georgia case, it's hard to imagine him coming here to Georgia and not speaking about it. I don't think that's going to be humanly possible for him to come onto Georgia soil and not talk about the Georgia election because he is still so committed to this storyline and all of these conspiracies that this was uh, rigged and stolen against him. He continues to say that at every uh, rally that he has around the country. And Georgia is a big part of that storyline when he's speaking in other states. So I don't think there's one single chance he's going to come to Georgia and not talk about all of that as well, especially because he'll be in the room, probably the one room where he'll have the most people who agree with him um, anywhere in the state. Um, I think also another thing that's going to be really important to be watching along with that are is who's going to be leading this party in the future. And does that set it in a different direction. Uh, Josh McCoon is up to be the chairman. Rebecca Yardley is up to be the chairman. Um, it's going to be David Schaefer's last convention as chairman. And um, he's, again, one of those targets of the Fonnie Willis investigation, um, specifically because of what he did for Donald Trump. And so um, this is this party is so it's beyond knee deep in the middle of this national scandal. It really is the focal point of that national scandal. And here they are having their convention to decide, do we keep going in the same direction or do we choose a new direction for ourselves and for our party? Um, and probably J David Shaper's biggest sin as a party chairman, other than getting into a huge <laughs> fight with the governor who won by a huge margin, is they're just not winning races 
the way that they need to and the way that uh, the party activists feel that they need to. Um, the people who did win statewide as Republicans did it at a distance from the state party. The uh, the candidates who they got behind, Herschel Walker, Donald Trump, um, the, they did not win. It's not been a winning coalition. It's not been a winning message. And I think this party has a lot of soul searching to do. It's not clear if it's going to be a broad enough conversation within this room because the party has been so marginalized by the governor, but that's why we go to these conventions to see what their plans are, how they're feeling, who's going to be leading it, and where is the base? Because all of these presidential candidates who we've seen announcing their candidacies over the last weeks and months, they want to know where the base is because they're going to be appealing to the base. Georgia is a hugely important state for both the Democrats and Republicans. And so um, all of the GOP nominees who are going to be up running for president or the, the candidates rather running for president are going to be watching this convention carefully as well. I'm glad you mentioned the race for the party chairmanship because you, I've covered these for more than a decade. And usually that's the big headline, right? I mean, rarely do we have a president, rarely, we've never had a former president actually come in person um, to a Georgia GOP convention, but uh, rarely is it as, as the political moment that it is right now. Usually the big story is who's going to be the next chairman and what that means for the future of the party. And occasionally there are attempts to rebuke high profile Republican officials like uh, back in 2016, there were a lot of delegates and activists mad about uh, then-Governor Nathan Deal's veto of religious liberty. So let's get into the chairman race, because it is important. Even though the party has been sidelined, even though Governor Kemp and other mainstream leaders have distanced themselves and created their own parallel structure that, that is in many ways doing what a party used to do, there's still something to be said about a Georgia GOP. It still does have the power to appoint delegates to the national convention, um, it still oversees qualification of candidates. There's still, uh, it still has a role in energizing and, and motivating and mobilizing activists all over the state. And then, of course, there's still thousands of devotees who show up to these morning meetings who form the backbone of the Republican Party. Uh, it's striking to me, Patricia, because all of the candidates, there's three candidates running for GOP chair, and they're all, they're all pushing to turn the page from David Schaefer, even, even his ally, Josh McCoon, they're all saying we want to, we want to present a, a new chapter in the GOP playbook. Let's start with McCoon. He's a former state Senator who pushed that religious Liberty bill in the state Senate way back in 2016. He also championed ethics reforms that weren't altogether popular with many of his colleagues. He's pledging to be a relentlessly positive unifying force in the state party who can refocus GOP on kitchen table issues like public safety and the economy. Rebecca Yardley is his top rival. She chairs the ninth GOP district, and she's developed a, an ambitious 100-day plan to boost fundraising, reshape the party's image, and uh, increase mobilization of activists. The third candidate is sort of a long shot. His name is Dennis Futch. He's a South Georgia activist. He wants to boost Republican turnout in 53 counties in part by giving who he calls the true Republicans blank checks from the party to spend on their campaigns how they want. If there's a front runner, it's it's likely Josh McCoon. He's endorsed by Schaefer, who still has some popularity among delegates. And McCoon has worked furiously to lock up support across the state with a really aggressive outreach campaign. But these internal decisions are really hard to predict. And some party watchers say they think a vote would go to a second round that pits McCoon against Yardley, who also has a very devoted uh, base of support. So it's going to be interesting. Yardley is the candidate who's much 
clearly a break from David Schaefer. McCoon, of course, is his ally, but McCoon also says, hey, I can be this unifier, not this divider. Uh, he doesn't necessarily name Schaefer, but it's the unsaid part of the speech. Yeah, I think whoever wins is also going to need to um, prove to these delegates that they can organize, that they can get the ground game back up on its feet, that they can fundraise, that they can make it worthwhile for statewide candidates in particular to um, get closer to the party. We've seen that Governor Kemp has been able to really sideline this uh, state party to a large extent because he is able to raise his own money now with his leadership committee. And because he has said, and many others have said, they didn't feel like the GOP ground game was there when they uh, wanted to see it. They didn't see it early. They didn't see it effective. Um, but at the same time, it's those Saturday meetings with the county GOPs that are just the backbone of this party. They were the secret sauce to Republicans being able to take over power in the state in the first place. It's such, it has been such a rich, fertile grassroots um, organization. Um, but we are seeing, especially because of the influence of Donald Trump, there are people at the county levels in many of these places who are like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't get there. Um, I don't want to be a part of this. It's not good for me and my community. It's not good for my family. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so I think the fact that all of them are talking about looking forward instead of backward, um, and they're not associated with the 2020 elections, I think that's a good thing for this party. It, any step is going to be a good step when you look at where they're coming from and where they're going. Um, so I think it's going to be very helpful. But I think their speeches are going to be fascinating to hear. We'll also be talking to delegates about how much they've heard from these candidates and what have they heard from them. Have they come to their county? Have they uh, delivered a message that is, as McCoon said, positive, uh, forward-looking, with a plan to rebuild the grassroots, and not just the grassroots that are still there, but the turnout machine. They really mm -hmm. need that in this party because Democrats have found a way to out-organize them, out-raise them, out-spend them. Now, it didn't really work that well for Stacey Abrams, but uh, Democrats still have a ton of confidence in their ground game because of the work that has been done over the last many years. And Republicans don't have that kind of confidence that they did before. So that's going to be a big piece of it um, beyond getting away from this just constant storyline of a family fight, just doing the nuts and bolts of running a party and supporting those candidates um, in statewide elections in particular. Yeah. And look, the big headline is still going to be no matter what. The AJC, of course, will be focusing on all our facets. But the national media who's there is going to be focusing on one big one, Donald Trump. It's his first return to Georgia since announcing his re-election campaign. And it strikes me, Patricia, what a difference a couple of years makes. Well, one year makes. Because the last time Donald Trump held a campaign stop in Georgia, it was about March of last year. And there was, it was at a muddy racetrack in Commerce, Georgia. And he promised the thousands of loyalists who traveled up there that his plan to overhaul state politics and his image was only just starting Back then, he still harbored a host of ousting Governor Kemp uh, and replacing him with former Senator David Perdue. He still sought political payback against Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, he still dreamed of helping Herschel Walker win a U.S. Senate seat. And the threat of criminal charges in Georgia for his effort to overturn his defeat still seemed pretty far off. I mean, the, the investigation was kind of just getting its legs. Now, of course, that plan is in tatters. Kemp and other Republican incumbents demolished their Trump-backed challengers. Walker's campaign collapsed in the runoff, and Fulton County prosecutors could unveil criminal charges as early 
as August. So it is, it is, it is very different environment. And Patricia, to me, the, one of the biggest changes is just how we're seeing Republicans react to him. Back in 2020, of course, even his critics fell in line. In 2022, even the focuses of his attacks were tight-lipped, right? Governor Kemp didn't say a bad word about Trump. Um, they, they kept the focus on their own campaigns. That's very different now. Governor Kemp has started to unload on Donald Trump. Um, I think we'll see more of that coming. And other Republicans have been emboldened to strike back against the former president. That's absolutely true. But what else is absolutely true is that in early polling, Donald Trump is still the dominant frontrunner in Georgia among GOP voters, um, even the ones who voted for Brian Kemp. And so there is room um, right now in Republicans' minds to have both supported Brian Kemp in the last election and uh, potentially support Donald Trump the next time around. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge to Donald Trump in terms of getting the nomination and convincing people to vote for him again in the GOP primary is also here in Georgia. That challenge is in Atlanta at the Fulton County Courthouse. There is ongoing concern from people who I talk to among Republican voters to say, do you think he'll be able to stay in the race because he's got so many legal challenges against him and it is both expensive and time consuming to deal with those kinds of things. It seems to only uh, give him energy in some strange way. He seems to use it as a as a reason to run instead of a reason not to run. Um, but I think there is that is another piece that is changing for Donald Trump is just his legal status. You know, is he going to be in courtrooms between now and um, primary day? Is he going to be in Georgia courtrooms? Is he going to be indicted here? Um, will he be arrested here? It's just a it's just such a crazy dynamic that he's got going, and so much of it ends up here. In Georgia, um, I think it's also fascinating to see where this convention is happening and who is in the running to be the next chairman. This is all outside of Atlanta stuff. We've really seen the power center for the Republican Party drain away outside of even the suburban metro area um, to northwest Georgia. A lot of votes also over in the 9th District, um, in the Athens area, all these kind of fast-growing exurban areas. And then, of course, rural Georgia. Democrats need to really start to make some inroads in rural Georgia, but that continues to be a real Republican stronghold. So for the Republicans to be down in Columbus as well, they're going to be very happy with um, with that location. And I think Trump will, you know, even though he is uh, at odds with so many state leaders, this is the room where he will have support. If he, if he had to pick one room in the entire state of Georgia, this is it. I think he's going to get an extremely warm welcome. And if he doesn't, that's going to be the biggest headline coming out of this convention. Yeah, he. I think he picked his... Uh his venue very wisely, his campaign did. And I think, uh, go back to Mike Pence, who decided not to come. I think Mike Pence picked very wisely about no-showing this convention, deciding not to come. Instead, he'll be spending his time up in New Hampshire. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song, 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Greg Bluestein, along with Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, you had a, a captivating column this week about Marjorie Taylor Greene reading the room. And I'm going to read you a piece of what you wrote. We sometimes watch the crowd's reaction to a speech more carefully than the speech itself to gauge the support in the room for the person at the podium. Is Columbus reality or conservative fantasy land? Marjorie Taylor Greene will soon find out. Okay, tell us why you wrote that. Tell us why you'll be watching Marjorie Taylor Greene particularly closely. Yes. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, we talked about her last week because she had really defied a number of her fellow Freedom Caucus members and voted in favor, not just of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy when he was running for Speaker, but also last week voted in favor of the debt ceiling deal that McCarthy negotiated with President Joe Biden. Um, That's a vote that any economist would tell you, at least in the short term, really important to take. Certainly, you don't want the U.S. economy going into default. That's a major, major issue, um, especially for small business owners who then would be reeling most likely from interest rate hikes and other kind of unforeseen circumstances. That's a setup to say Green voted for the debt ceiling deal. Um, as a result, national far-right pundits, Steve Bannon in particular, started calling for Green to be primaried in her district. And shortly thereafter, Laura Loomer, who is a far-right activist down in Florida, who's, who has an ongoing beef with Marjorie Taylor Greene, said, took a Twitter poll to say, should I move to the 14th district and primary Marjorie Taylor Greene? And she got great response from her Twitter poll. Now, she is not going, I guarantee Laura Loomer is not going to run in the 14th district. But it's the very first time we have seen Greene have this kind of problem on the right. It didn't seem like there was any daylight to get between Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, the base of the base. I mean, she was the base of the base. However, with this vote on the debt ceiling deal, it was those national voices that were just flipping out. Um, John Fredericks, who has a conservative talk radio show, also said, well, you know, I think that Marjorie Taylor Greene ought to take this Laura Loomer situation very seriously. I don't agree. I don't think anybody thinks she's going to (laughs) run in a primary against her. Um, However, I did want to see how her own constituents were uh, processing uh, Green's support for McCarthy and then also for the debt ceiling deal because the debt deal, the debt ceiling has been just this bugaboo for Republicans for a long time. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Tea Party movement had a lot to do with the debt ceiling and federal spending. Um, Donald Trump's, uh, even though he's 
spent a ton of money and then also cut taxes and ran up deficits, there's been this energy on the far right, always focused on the debt deal. So the fact that she voted for it, I wanted to see how that was playing locally. And I was actually surprised that there was concern in her district that uh, Republicans, uh, and these are, you know, these are the activists, but these are the activists who got her elected. This is her base. These are her people. Um, The sense was that they were just kind of confused. They just don't know where that vote came from. They feel like it's not really on brand for Green to be so lockstep with the speaker after he negotiated a deal with the president. Um, Green also said something that really incensed a number of Republicans, including Republicans in the 9th District, where Andrew Clyde is the congressman, and he didn't vote for the debt deal. Um, She said, you know, I live in reality. I don't live in a conservative fantasy land. And that's why I voted for this bill. That really rubbed some Republicans the wrong way because they said, oh, I'm sorry. Do we now live in fantasy land? Is that what you're saying? They just saw an immense amount of distance between themselves and her. Um, You know, they're not voting against her. They're not looking for a primary challenge to her, but they are just not knowing what they're seeing right now. So when she's in this room at the GOP convention, when she's speaking t- two weeks ago, she would have been probably a bigger star, maybe even than Donald Trump, like the hometown hero. Now here we are after this debt deal. And I think it's very important to see how the reaction to her is in the room. It might be all's well, no big deal. Who cares? Um, however, there might be some dissent because the reaction to the right, both locally and nationally, or on the right rather, to that vote has persisted. And Andrew Clyde is somebody who has continued to rail against it. He said he was threatened over his vote against it. He has kind of become the local far right hero because he got into a scrap with um, GOP leadership over it. And that uh, that scrap has continued for several days. So I think Green's... Um, Green's reception is going to be really important to watch. Yeah, and I don't anticipate it to be a you know a sour reception myself. But look, remember this is also a crowd that booed the first Republican governor, or at least gave him some feedback. It gave the you know, the first Republican governor since Reconstruction, Sonny Perdue, um, some uh, some pushback. And uh, this is a crowd that Nathan Deal decided not to address during his second term. This is a crowd, obviously, that Governor Kemp got booed before and Saxby Chambliss was booed. And there's been a number of Republican officials who are seen by a broader spectrum of voters as conservative who are deemed not conservative enough to this crowd. And maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene's part of that. It would be hard to imagine. I mean, if we've gotten to that point, this party needs to take a long look in the mirror. (laughs) But it is just how much credibility does she have with the far right? And how much has she spent in the last week? You know, um, uh, if she's not conservative enough, I mean, the, we're in a new world. We're in a whole new world for Georgia Republicans. <laughs> we got, yeah, we have to reassess a lot of things, <laughs> including whether water is wet. Um, okay, well, that is uh, all the time we have for that part of the show. Let's get to one of our favorite segments, the listener mailbag, which you can now call into anytime. Leave a question, and we'll play it back and enter your question right here on the podcast. We have a brand new number that includes some letters. So it's a little confusing, but it's 404-526-AJCP. That is 404-526-2527. We're thrilled. We got a lot of calls this week. Shaney B, you only picked the top two. So there's some competition this week. 
There's some, yeah, we're going to make them duke it out to make it onto the Politically Georgia podcast. By the way, I'm really excited to uh, travel down to Columbus with you guys. I got the bags all packed, the cars gassed up, ready to go. We're ready to go. Oh, should we also say, uh, for those of you listening uh, on Friday morning, uh, Patricia Murphy and I will be co-hosting a segment of Mark Aram's morning radio show. Patricia's only going to join us for about 30 or so minutes, but that's awesome. I'm glad you can join us for anything. And I'll be there from 10 (laughs) to noon and we'll actually be following up. Senator John Ossoff will be speaking. He'll be hosting the nine o'clock hour. So it's going to be an interesting, ooh, fun show. We can't wait. And I love that Ossoff is hosting the the nine o'clock. I know. Um, Can I also make another PSA um, for the Republicans listening? We are going to be roving around the GOP convention with our microphones for this podcast. So if you would like to be on the Politically Georgia podcast, just come talk to us because we're going to be there with our microphones. We'd love to talk to you and hear your thoughts. What's going on? So the Mark Aram appearance, uh, if you're catching this podcast early enough, uh, will be this morning from 10 to noon on 95.5 WSB. And then our special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast from the Georgia GOP convention will drop on Sunday. So we've got all kinds of good stuff for Politically Georgia listeners. Oh, yeah. Including some really good phone calls. Let's Here start off. What a segue. All right, let's start off with a call that came all the way from the Hoosier State. Hi, Greg and Patricia. This is Connor from South Bend, Indiana, but I was originally born and raised in Peachtree City, Georgia. I love this podcast and listen to every episode. And I wanted to ask for your thoughts on the political future of Andre Dickens. Are there any talks of him facing a primary challenger after this cop city deal? And how does this impact his viability for a statewide office down the road? Thanks so much. Great question, uh, Georgian turned Hoosier. Um, that is the million dollar question for Andre Dickens. Um, I do think that this has impacted his um, political future. In what way? We don't quite know yet, to be honest with you. I think he will get a primary challenger. I think that is just about guaranteed. I think he might have had one um, ahead of his reelection. But after this entire fight over the Public Safety Training Center, I definitely think that he will get a primary challenge from the left. Um, almost, It may even be only about the Public Safety Training Center. Um, it has been, I think, particularly on the messaging it has been a real problem for City Hall and the mayor's office. They have tried, um, but maybe not tried hard enough to get out in front of this controversy. There are still a number of lingering questions, not that they haven't been answered, but they have not been answered over and over and over again. There's also a lot of disinformation happening in this conversation. And so I do think it's taken a toll on Dickens inside the city with some people, not necessarily with a majority of people, but with some people, particularly people who are very invested in that public safety training center. Now, looking to a statewide contest, it might have helped them, to be honest with you. If we have an Atlanta mayor who's perceived as being very close to the um, police and law enforcement and supportive of them, even at a time of immense duress, as has been the case, and really pushing forward for something that the police said that they need. And not just the police, it's the fire department as well. It's the um, EMTs, all of those first responders. I think that may actually help him in the long run if he chooses to run statewide. I agree completely, Patricia. First off, though, before we get into my answer, Connor, South Bend was one of the most fantastic places. It was the site of the best non-playoff football game I've ever attended. Georgia 
versus the Fighting Irish. 22-19 was the final score back in 2017. But what we'll always remember is the hospitality and the graciousness of the folks in South Bend. It was amazing. Okay, so I agree with Patricia completely about a statewide candidate and about uh, how it could help him as a statewide candidate and about how he is likely to face a primary challenger. And I can tell you already in 2025, the fear for Democrats, and it's a long way out, but the fear for Democrats is that Mary Norwood, a councilwoman who's run several times before for mayor, is seen as a more, she's independent, but she's seen as more Republican leaning, and she has certainly a lot of Republican supporters, is the fear that she runs, that Dickens runs, a lot of liberal voters and progressive voters stay home, and that uh, somehow or another, or a liberal candidate gets in and splits the vote with, with Andrea Dickens, and that Mary Norwood emerges as the mayor. Who knows? We'll see. But I've already heard that from a number of Democrats worried about the fallout uh, of this vote in the city of Atlanta. But I also agree with Patricia. I think it strengthens his hand if he wants to run for statewide office, because what is the big issue right now? Why are all the Republican candidates and office holders attacking the, the, the opponents of public safety project? It is because uh, it, it plays well on a statewide stage. And of course, to them, it's near and dear to their, their agendas as well. Well, thank you, Connor, for calling and for listening all the way up there in South Bend, Indiana. Now we take a call from right here in Georgia. This is David in Atlanta. I remember uh, at some point, I think Greg had testified in a congressional hearing about giving media a safe harbor uh, when Google was uh, takes your search results from your articles. Uh, what was the resolution of that? Did anything ever come of that? I'm just thinking about how like, I think we need media to be more spread out and more diffuse across the country. And I think that this would probably really help with that. So uh, I did not testify before a congressional subcommittee, but our now former editor, Kevin Riley, did way back in 2019. Um, he and some other industry leaders were supportive of what is known as the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act of 2019 that was co-sponsored by then-Congressman Doug Collins. Back then, it, that legislation, which of course has, is still pending, but it did not pass, would allow news organizations to negotiate collectively with tech giants such as Google and Facebook regarding the terms of on which their content may distribute may be distributed without breaking federal antitrust laws. That was my quick Google search of that story because I did not know what the question was, but I certainly would remember if I testified. But I, I appreciate the question. And um, look, it's a challenging landscape. Uh, and it's I think that was back in 2019. It's only gotten more challenging. I mean, just the big headlines are the tumult at CNN and all that. I don't know how many actual, you know, rank and file, just regular Georgians care about that. But what, what I care about more than all the stuff that's happening at CNN and all the national media is obsessing over is the smaller stuff that's happening. And it's still getting some attention. But just the other day, uh, LA Times announced it's laying off dozens of reporters. There's a news desert. There is a walkout at Gannett-owned newspapers all over the nation, including several here in Georgia, uh, and a unionization effort that, that was successful for several papers that were owned by Gannett in Georgia. We've seen a dearth of journalism. The big stories still get a ton of coverage, but what we're missing out on are some of the local stories about school boards, about council meetings, about commission hearings, and about legislation. And we at the AJC uh, have actually expanded our staff. So we are in a period of growth right now. It's very exciting, but unfortunately, some of our, our, our brethren, some of our counterparts all over the nation are in a period of contraction and even shutting down in some, in some instances. And, and we have to fight for a, uh, a more viable media landscape. I think um, the future of journalism is just this persistent um, 
uh, it's more than a concern. It's really a crisis, I think, um, not just for journalism, but for the country, for democracy. Um, I think the question of the search engines paying for content, that's absolutely never going to happen. I think newspapers and media organizations understand that. That's why they're moving from the ad-based model to a subscription model, really looking for people to be more loyal to their um, to their newspapers rather than just click on an article that looks interesting and you know maybe they'll get a tenth of a cent, maybe they won't. I think also the idea of micropayments for individual articles is something that I hope uh, can gain traction. I think that would help news organizations to a certain extent, but anything with the uh, prefix micro doesn't inspire hope for journalism. Um, I do think, though, people are so invested, I think, in um, races around the country, particularly congressional races around the country. They're giving money, these um, small dollar donations to candidates in states they've never been to, districts they will never travel to. My recommendation, subscribe to that local newspaper. Use your $15. Um, instead of doing $15 a month, do $15 a year. Subscribe to that local newspaper. Strengthen the news organization in the hometown of that candidate so that they can report on that race and report on the candidates and tell voters who they are voting for. That is what's missing right now, I think. And um, I don't even worry about the LA Times. I, it's a strong-ish news organization. I worry about even the smaller communities, yeah. Chino, uh, Truckee, Sonoma, you know, places all around Georgia. Um, investment is is just not there for these smaller organizations, particularly outside of capital cities. There are important races happening there every time, um, but they just don't have the manpower to cover the races and tell voters and citizens what's happening in their own community anymore. One more aside on that. I, I used to. I always tell folks the story when I when I started covering um, state politics and state legislature back in two thousand. Well, first I first started two thousand one too. But when I was first started covering the Georgia Gold Dome in two thousand four and five, the Capitol Press Corps was alive. It, there was reporters from representing Augusta and Savannah and Albany and Chattanooga and South Georgia. Um, Savannah, Columbus, you know, you name it, Macon had a, had a reporter that was assigned to just covering the General Assembly and in the AJC, of course. And back then, the Associated Press had a, had a very strong group of reporters there. Now the AP has been diminished. There's no reporters from Savannah, Macon, Augusta, Albany, Columbus, Chattanooga, any of those markets that are in Atlanta on a daily basis covering. Um, they're relying on us. They're relying on um, the, the fine folks at Capital Beat. Uh, and some digital startups, but it's not, it is not the environment it used to be. And that means that, you know, the big stories still get covered and the Atlanta stories still get covered, but you know, the local, the, the stories you used to see about the Columbus delegation or the Augusta delegation in the capital, and there's still fine, great reporters who are covering those from Augusta, but, and, and from Columbus, of course, but you're missing some of those stories about what's happened at the Capitol uh, in regards to their specific delegations. Okay. Now it is time for the who's up and who's down for the week. Patricia, since we always like to end on a high note, who is your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week is CNN, formerly hometown treasure, currently corporate spreadsheet 
catastrophe. Um, Chris Licht got the boot earlier this week after a humiliating uh, year-long profile that revealed um, more about his um, workout habits because he, for reasons unknown, in, uh, invited the reporter to come watch him do burpees at the gym. Uh, <laughs> Follow-up reporting. What did he say? He, goes, uh, he, he said, Zucker could never do this. Could never do this blank. Like, really, literally flexing for the reporter. Gosh, CNN deserves so much better. The journalists there deserve so much better. Um, I have a pet theory. They never should have moved HQ out of Atlanta. They lost their way. And uh, you just hate to see it. Uh, Amy Antelis, who's coming in to be the interim CEO, I think should be the the uh, long-term CEO. She's terrific, incredibly well-respected. So that may be a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train for once for CNN. So <laughs> I hate to see it from them, but they are my absolute who's down. I will say, follow-up reporting, Chris Licht takes Ozimbic, which is even worse information about him too so it's just a bad 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 scene over there they deserve oh, so much more i missed that story I, I read the atlantic piece and then i was kind of done i was like oh, oh i couldn't I get it. enough i'm <laughs> i i feel like i'm outside the media bubble enough where i don't i don't know any of these people um so my who's down is very local it's going to be mayor dickens who now spends the rest of his term trying to fight over the fallout of something that wasn't his pet project to begin with. It came from the, his, the previous administration of Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. He, of course, supports it. He supported it uh, back when he was a council member. He continues to support it now, and frankly, he's the face of it now. Um, but the, the tumult and the chaos over the public hearing and the vote reminded us all over again that this is going to be, whether he likes it or not, Andre Dickens' centerpiece for his re-election campaign. Patricia, who's your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week is Governor Brian Kemp, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and anybody else who used to feel obligated to go to the Georgia GOP convention now doesn't have to, doesn't want to, not going to go. There, there's just a point in your political career when you have the freedom to make your own choices and you don't have to do the things um, that you don't want to do. And they have both clearly gotten to that point. They don't need to go to this convention. They don't have to go and get booed. And they're not going to go. So that is a, a level of um, blue sky that these gentlemen, I'm sure, are enjoying immensely this weekend. They may e maybe even enjoying literal blue sky because they don't have to be in the convention center in Columbus. So they're my yeah. who's up. You know, I got uh, on that note, um, I don't think it'll matter who gets elected chair. I think that stance will continue. I got a call after our jolt came out on Thursday morning that, that, that mentioned all the election deniers who are not just speaking, but in some cases getting marquee slots in the GOP convention. I got a call from a senior Republican official saying, why would we ever, you know, they're, they're showing their true colors. No matter who's elected, they're showing their true colors. Why, why, why would any mainstream Republicans have anything to do with them ever again? And there's a case to be made they don't need to because of the new leadership committees that give folks like Brian Kemp immense new power to raise unlimited contributions and coordinate directly with their campaigns. My who's up, I'm going to be a little bit wishy-washy this week. My who's up is, is the same as my who's down. It's going to be Mayor Dickens. Because yes, there's this is going to be a, a massive issue for him moving forward, but also he won a huge victory. He showed his political clout by pushing this financing for this public safety center through. I mean, what was remarkable to me, and we talked about it in the last show, was that you know two years ago when the last vote came out, it was 
since then, there's been protests. There's been the tragic death of one of the demonstrators. There has been all sorts of national media attention. There has been, uh, you name it, <laughs> there's been a ton of coverage of this. And of course, there was the questions about financing, uh, the, trans- the, the lack of transparency about funding, and the arrests of three folks charged with financial crimes associated with this public training center. And yet still, Mayor Dickens was able to keep his coalition together and actually expand it by one vote, 11 to four. Um, so that shows you his political muscle at work. So it, it, he is my both who's down and who's up for this week. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. And this weekend, we'll have a special edition about the Republican convention in Columbus. Also, we'll have tons of coverage of it. We already have had like like 10 stories. We'll have a lot more. We'll see you soon on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.